Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? Well, I just can't that picture in Stephen Gerrard walking out of the Etihad, you know, wearing that Liverpool jersey underneath the suit, a bit like Superman Clark Kent. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. We have from the Koi Gig Pod, Kathleen McNamee. Good morning, Kathleen. Morning, guys. How are you keeping? Doing well, doing well. I was enjoying the chat there, everything from Everton to Kathleen's waiting for you. It sounded like I was the principal or something sitting outside the door. <laughs> Listen, you know, with that individual, when you're told what to do, you got to hop. Um, we have a lot to get through here. We talk a little bit about the Champions League final maybe to begin with. And it's such an interesting um, pairing with Leon and Barcelona, repeat of the final um, that was also in Budapest in uh, 2019. And Barcelona with a real score to settle. Yeah, they really do. I think, you know, Barcelona have talked about that final and how it was basically decided by half time as much as these things can be. And on the plane, on the way back from Budapest afterwards, they had this big team meeting and they said, we don't ever want to feel like this again. We don't want to have this sort of match again. And since then, they've been pretty incredible. Um, I mean, their record speaks for itself. The trebles, they went 30 for 30 in the league this year. And Leon have faltered since then. I mean, they're still an incredible team with incredible players, but they've seen a lot of their record runs break in. They've seen PSG come in and take a league title off them. They, it's so, because it's kind of like the new kids on the block versus the old dynasty who are still amazing. And I just don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, we've seen with Barcelona this season, they're not always at their best away from home when they come against these. We saw it against Wolfsburg, uh, Real Madrid a couple of times when they played them away. They still beat them, but it was a lot closer than the sort of thrashings that they were doing whenever they were playing in the Camp Nou or around their own home ground. So I'm intrigued to see how it'll go. And I do think it'll be a really great battle. Like on that uh, domestic piece, and and you mentioned that going thirty wins for thirty games uh, domestically, there's the goal difference one hundred and forty eight or something crazy like that. And the only defeat I think in the last forty five games was the Wolfsburg game uh, that you mentioned in the semi final that was ultimately a, a dead rubber. Anyway, what um, is like given all of that stuff, an incredible run. Is there still something about Leon, the side of Leon in the final that puts a bit of fear into this Barcelona side? I don't know if it's fear so much as it puts a little bit of wind up their backs because they they know themselves that this is kind of the team that they need to beat to take away any question marks over what they have done. I think you get this across sports, but when you have a team that dominates, probably in the way that Leon used to dominate, you kind of question, you're like, well, is the league that good? Is you know, domestically, are they just not given the right competition? You know, it's the same sort of questions you'd see around a team like Bayern Munich or something. But I think beating Leon will just be like the cherry on top for this Barcelona team. It will show that they have totally gotten rid of those demons from 2019 and that they are the new heads of Europe, like they are the team to beat. Um, I think like no matter what level Leon are at, such as their history and such as the caliber of the players on their team, you know, every team still wants to beat them. And when we say they're not having a great season or they're not having their best season, it means that they're losing one or two matches compared to not like like winning every single one that's going. So I think if you listen as well to anything that the Barcelona players have said this week, their focus has very much been revenge, you know, Oshuala has talked about it. Uh, Fridolina Rulfo has talked about it. They want to get revenge against Leon and they want to, I think, kind of give back to them what they felt in 2019. Um, 
So I think that's probably more their focus going into the final. We're all about uh, boxing analogies this morning and uh, styles win fights. Just in terms of styles here, Kathleen, what are we thinking? Like it's the high press, obviously, of Barcelona trying to win the ball high up the pitch, flood the box, flood the final third. What's, what is the mix of styles going to be here? It's kind of this is part of the reason why I think it's going to be such an interesting matchup because they are both very similar the way that they play. They both like the high press, they both like their possession. I actually think when it comes down to it, it's going to be that midfield area is going to be really important. Like we know with Barcelona, the absolute quality that they have there with Patrick Gujarro, Bob Mashi, uh, Alexia Patelis, that is probably the area that's going to be most important. I'm interested to see how Barcelona do playing a team where they do they don't mind sitting off the ball sometimes and letting another team play i know i saw them play against arsenal in the champions league earlier on in the year and they were perfectly happy to let arsenal pass the ball around and then just snap it off them and absolutely just flood the box and get their goals i think against leon it's really going to be a test of patience for both teams who can hold on to the ball for the longest who can get the ball to the likes of hergerberg who is the competition's top scorer i think she's going to be really important for leon and um, katarine macaro as well the u.s women's national team player who can play in midfield or up front i think those two players for leon are going to be important i think both teams are going to be looking at shutting down those key areas, but it's going to be difficult because they're so loaded in so many different parts of the field. Um, but I think for Leon, definitely it's their forwards that they're going to be looking to. And then for Barcelona, it's going to be their midfield that they're going to hope to dominate on. What does this matchup, Kathleen, tell us about the, the power dynamics in Europe and the sport at the moment? Like, Do you see it trending towards the WSL's favour over the next little while? Like, I'm not sure what the, the, the financial breakdowns are compared to the, the, the French teams and the Spanish teams, but do you see the likes of Manchester City to a lesser extent behind Chelsea and Arsenal, I, I guess, moving towards Lyon and Barcelona and then potentially putting distance between them if, if we're talking five, ten years into the future? Well, I think the argument tends to be that the WSL is probably the most competitive of all the leagues. It's the one that sees you know from all the way to the top to the bottom there's a the teams are a bit closer they're kind of competing a bit more this year in particular if you look at some of the transfers that are already going through i think it's interesting that we are seeing more players being attracted to the spanish league in particular you know the likes of caroline weir is tipped to go to from manchester city to real madrid um and that real madrid as well are putting in a major transfer season in general um if anything if any of the reports to go by so far i think it it goes back and forward i think where the spanish and french leagues have struggled before is that they've been quite top heavy i mean we saw this year in the spanish league you know teams not having their own medics and having to borrow medics off barcelona when they played them the see everything that barcelona have done for spanish football has definitely put a massive spotlight on it and i think the euros this summer is probably going to only highlight it more i don't know if the trend is there yet for like people to be going massively to some of the lower league or the lower in the league teams um for france and spain but i think it's interesting i like the fact that there's more competition coming in i like the fact that we're not going into this match and being like oh well leon are gonna win because that's what leon do every year you know, it's a bit more. And I think the WSL in the Champions League in particular, it's an area it really needs to prove itself in. You know, Arsenal are the only pass winners of a long time ago. Chelsea got absolutely annihilated by 
um, Barcelona in the final last year. So for all that the WSL says that it has the best players and it has the best teams and money-wise, it, it would be up there. I know like Chelsea and Arsenal, definitely their sort of funds would be up there with what the likes of Barcelona, Lyon and PSG, even Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg are offering. But City, we've seen this summer are struggling a tiny bit because their their pay structures are slightly different to the others and mm. they do offer a bit less. And that is why we're seeing the likes of, say, Stanway leaving, uh, Caroline Weir, Lucy Bronze might be out the door. There's football reasons for it as well, but it definitely adds to the attraction if you know you can go somewhere and get a better wage packet. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how the... WSL teams, especially in the next season or two, kind of come back in the Champions League and prove themselves because they definitely didn't do it this year. And that's only going to harm them when it comes down the line where players are looking for Champions League football and looking for that trophy success. Even you know, Arsenal meet him at like, it looks like she's going to sign a one year extension now, but that's the thing she's talked about all the time is I want to win a Champions League trophy. Are you going to stay in a league that hasn't had a winner? And God knows, I think it's like eight years now. Yeah, she was advertising to Jersey as well. It'd be uh, quite a U-turn if uh, if she wasn't actually wearing it next season for Arsenal. The um, is it too simplistic, Kathleen, to compare this era to where the men's game was at from like two thousand and eight to two thousand and twelve, where Barcelona are looking like they could become the dominant club team, uh, and Spain are obviously favourites for this year's Euros as well, which is which is obviously similar to the international scene f- fourteen to, to to ten years ago. I think it might be just because I think the game is at a very different place to where the men's game was even then. Um, you know, we're still seeing quite a lot of fluctuation in terms of teams coming up. And I know Spain have been tipped as favourites for this Euros, and that's largely on Barcelona's success. But also the team, the reason that Barcelona has been so successful isn't necessarily that they went after like major names or they went after the top stars they have amazing players who are top stars but they were really clever in their recruitment and they recruited for areas that they had issues with and they they built that over time and i don't think the spanish team has done that necessarily in the same way and also in the way that it's very difficult to do that with an international side compared to a club side where you're with the team all the time i think instead this is more a pattern that we're going to see in women's football in general where there's these constant power plays because people are getting more interested in the sport people are putting more money into it you know we saw in the wsl this year with the likes of man united and tottenham people wouldn't have said at the start of the season that tottenham would have looked like possibly getting a champions league place for over half the season and then tailing off like if they put a little bit more money in the team they could be competing in the champions league next year and could be a powerhouse in three years time it's just it's much more difficult to know where the trend is going because everyone is almost still like the dust hasn't settled on the money that's being pumped into all the different leagues the money that's being pumped into the teams and I think that Barcelona could 100% dominate and for the next couple of years and I don't see it happening with the Spain team as much, but it, I mean, anything can happen. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if another team comes up next year and gives them a run for their money. In a word, Leon or Barcelona? Uh, I'm going to go with Leon just because I think Barcelona aren't always the best away from home. But 
We'll see. <laughs> yeah, as you said, it's, at least it's a it's a good conversation to have now that the, the outcome is definitely not uh, foregone. Uh, brilliant FA Cup final last weekend that we need to talk about as well. Chelsea beating Manchester City 3-2 in the end. Uh, Chelsea got ahead and they cut clawed back. It goes to extra time and Sam Kerry gets the winner. And I was interested to see Emma Hayes talking afterwards about um, City underestimating them, um, which felt like a very pointed, maybe post-League Cup final, but very pointed. Yeah, I think it could have been because in the run-up to the match, there was a lot of talk from City players about how they were the best club and the best team in the league. And, you know, I do think it was quite remarkable what City did getting that final Champions League spot, considering how awful they were at the start of the season. You know, you were looking at a team of absolute stars and thinking that could be like a bottom-of-the-table sort of finish for them. Um, I think... I, I don't I think Emma Hayes was probably being unfair saying the city underestimated them. I don't think anyone goes up against Chelsea and underestimates them. And I think even the, how close it was shows that they didn't underestimate them. Um, Chelsea have they've shown exactly the sort of team they are in the especially in the last few matches of the season where they were da- they looked like they were down and out so many times and managed to just come back. I mean, Sam Kerr in particular <laughs> helped mm. them through a few scrapes, but I think their mentality is absolutely insane. They know how to get those ugly wins. Um, and maybe Man City were counting on them to play a bit uglier and not, and them to be able to press them enough that they wouldn't be able to get that final goal. That wasn't the case on the day, but. I think anyone who goes into playing Chelsea or City and underestimates the other side probably shouldn't be playing at Chelsea or City. <laughs> yeah, um, and I saw and Hayes as well talking about it's like this constant link of her uh, maybe going to a, to another club, complicated by everything that's going on at Chelsea, obviously at the minute. But she's saying no, no, there's no. She she says that thing that every manager says just before they move to another club. No, no, there's no truth in that. No idea about any of that stuff. Likely to stay, or what, what's your sense? I think she's likely to stay. Um, I think she has unfinished business with Chelsea, particularly when it comes to European football. And if you look at like her connection to Chelsea, is it's emotional. It goes, it's so deep. I mean, at the end, the final whistle at the weekend, she was thumping the badge on her chest and there were tears on her eyes. And she has built Chelsea women into what they are that club would not exist at the level that it does without everything she's done and the thing I always say about Emma Hayes is she's an incredible player manager you know she has this ability to have a team of stars and the difference between say Chelsea and Barcelona is that like Chelsea will spend the money you know they've broken the British transfer record twice. Uh, they brought in Pernilla Harder on the world transfer fee. They're willing to spend that money, but also she is able to manage that team and is so close to them that none of the egos get in the way of their play. And I always think that's incredibly impressive. And I think part of that comes from how close the bond is with her and the club. Um, so I don't think she's going anywhere soon I think if she wins a Champions League title say maybe next year then maybe she might look for a new challenge but I just think that she enjoys life at Chelsea far too much to leave and I think it would have to be a very interesting project for her to leave you know she's not going to she's not going to go unless she sees something that she can really make a difference in yeah um 
you've got a whole list of stuff that we're going to come back to next week, Kathleen. Players of the year, underrated players, underperformers, loads of stuff. But we're going to there's too much in that to do it now, so I don't want to squeeze it in. We'll come back to it if you're if you're around next week. But there is one thing I want to ask you about before we let you away. The I was struck by. Uh, two stories, one of them from uh, Ireland outside of the soccer stuff it bubbled up again during the week with uh, I saw Fiona, Fiona McHale pointed to it from the BBC um, podcast, uh, the GA Social podcast where they brought up about uh, expenses around the LJFA again and the fact that there that there aren't uh, any and Fiona McHale saying that uh, can confirm that LJFA players do not get expenses if I were to claim mileage uh, the way men do or weekly travel expenses about 500 quid so um that's bubbling away and it's uh, remarkable to be still having that conversation in 2022. I would have thought, actually, as people talking about the uh, potential merger between the GEA, LGFA and the Camogie Association, that that would see to that. I would have thought, actually, the GEA and G, uh, sorry, the GPA and the LGPA merger would have actually gone a long way to trying to help that sort of uh, conversation, but it doesn't appear to have done. So that on the one side, and then events in the US, Kathleen, during the week, obviously, with the uh, men's and uh, women's national team getting an equal split of World Cup bonuses is a major development. Yeah, it's massive. And I think what's so big about it is that it really moves on the conversation from where we were. I know how excited we were, say, when Ireland announced equal pay for our men's and women's teams and like the talks that went into it. But this is this is putting pressure on the likes of FIFA. This is looking at, you know, the entire world and saying, okay, well, we've gone one step further. Why can't you guys? Um, I also think it's remarkable because obviously we saw like six years of lawsuits between the U.S. Soccer Federation and the U.S. Women's National Team. And the one thing that the U.S. Soccer Federation always said, among a lot of other very <laughs> offensive things generally, but they said that they would never split bonuses from World Cups because it would bankrupt the entire federation. And that was kind of the big thing that came out of the announcement. Um, and it's, it's like you say, you mentioned the expenses thing there. It's the fact that the U.S. Soccer Federation and the U.S. Women's National Team have gone as far as to say, well, for every match that the men's team have, we're going to split the ticket sales with the women and vice versa, which, I mean, in the US, like the US women's national team will often pull in more people than the men anyway, so it does mm. benefit them. But if you think about the fact that to like, the final place team in the men's World Cup last time out earned more money than the team that won it, it's amazing. And like the bonuses for Qatar, I think, are something like 400 million. And the U.S. Women's National Team are going to get access to that compared to the 60 million that you would get in the World Cup pool for the women's side. So it takes a conversation another level. It gives other sides something to point to and say, well, OK, we got our equal pay, but why aren't we getting expenses or why aren't we getting same treatment when it comes to travel? We've seen stories so many times about women's team being stuck on you know, bad flights or not even getting a flight, having to take a train across the country or whatever it might be. So it's just, it's another beacon. It's another thing to say, well, this isn't abnormal. And I loved, um, Midge Purse was talking about it afterwards and she was quoting her dad and she said, you know, you, sh you shouldn't have to thank people for things that should just be done. And I think that's what I took from this. You know, it's great that it's happened and I'm delighted that it has, but um, we were not going to hand out any gold stars either because it should have been done a long time ago and I hope people see it as something for the future and something to aim towards um, because at the end of the day if women's sport had been given the sort of money that men's sport has been for all these years we would be having a lot more fun talking about sport rather than 
money and economics and human rights, I suppose. Catch up with you next week. Thanks, Kathleen. See you then. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Kathleen McNamee from the Coigig uh, podcast.